This old man and me We're at the bar and we We're having us some beers And swapping out on cares Talking politics Blonde and red-haired chicks Old dogs and new tricks And habits we ain't kicked We talked about God's grace all the hell we raised and Then I heard the old man say God is great, beer is good And people are crazy How many of you have ever heard that song before? Let me see your hands. It's kind of fun, isn't it? It was the perfect intro song for me this morning because as I was looking at the new year and the Facebook posts and the news, the first thing that popped into my mind are people are just crazy. <laughs> I mean, really, the things that people come up with and the things that we say and do. And like all of you, I'd like to say it's everybody else who's crazy. But I think it's just a matter of degree for all of us. You know, yes, we're walking down the street and we see somebody talking to themselves and we go, ah, that person's crazy. But think about this for a minute. Schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder. We've got people who build hospitals, schools, will give their lives for other people to protect them, will pour out their lives to bless them. Go to the bar, get drunk, drive drunk and kill somebody. Well, did a good guy do that or a bad guy do that? People who are nice to their co-workers and, and selfless with their money and go home and yell at their wife and kids. Well, did a good guy do that or did a bad guy do that? We seem to be multiple personality. We're crazy, you know? And then the things we come up with, if you read some people's Facebook posts, I'm like, did they really say that? Do they really believe that? And I just sit down sometimes and I just shake my head. People are just nuts. I think the only way we're going to make it is if God remakes us. Because there's something just kind of off with us. I know that the Bible says that God took basically a lump of clay and made you and me. The Bible says we come from dirt. Did you know that? The Bible says we're, we're, we're dirt. In fact, Adam's name, because he comes from dirt, is dirt. The word Adam means dirt in Hebrew. Could you imagine that? Just naming one of your kids, you're dirt. <laughs> Very first man who ever lived, his name's Mud. He's crazy. And I know there's a lot of skeptics out there. But if you read some of the, like the myth stories, and we call them myth because we don't believe them. The myth stories of all the other ancient peoples. Yeah, this God and this God had a battle in heaven and this God cut off that God's head and the blood pooled and from that we got creation. And That's some wacky stuff. The Bible says man was made from dirt. Is that wacky? Listen. Got here my favorite multivitamin. These are chewable. It says children's chewable. I don't know why they say it's just for children. Like grown-ups don't like little red dinosaurs. I do. 
though I like the orange ones better. And they say you take these one a day, multivitamin and mineral, and it's good for you. So let me read to you what's in here. Copper, zinc, magnesium, soda, no, sodium, chlorine, chlorine, choline, oh, choline, okay. Uh. Oh. The Bible says we're made from dirt. We're supposed to eat copper, zinc, magnesium, and iron to be healthy. Where do you get that stuff? Dirt. We, are st- we come from dirt. We go to dirt. We're still dirt. Mud's my name. Oh, those are a little dry. Excuse me. I wonder if God can take a lump of clay and do something better with it. Because on the outside, it looks kind of nasty, doesn't it? But I think with the master craftsman, the potter doing something with that lump of clay, inside can be something quite precious. Bible says, and I quote, man is born to trouble. Do you believe it? How many of you have seen it? And don't put your hands down yet. How many of you have lived it? I saw hands go up higher. (laughs) Yeah, it is true. We're crazy. We need some help. So while I was thinking about this, this story came to mind. I've read this book several times. I'm going to read it again. It's a short book, and it's part of a series. The author is C.S. Lewis. You might have heard of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And they made a movie out of some of these, and I think this is the last one they made. The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's a story in there that reminds me of what I'm sharing with you. Let me read to you an intro to the story, and then I'll read from the actual book itself. And then I think you'll understand where I'm getting. So first, the intro. Eustace is the character that you love to hate. He's selfish, greedy, whiny, spoiled, and complains constantly. He ends up in Narnia with his cousins Lucy and Edmund, who have been to Narnia before, and is taken aboard a ship with Prince Caspian, who's searching for lost knights. The ship stops at several islands, one of which Eustace gets himself into a pickle. He wanders away from the crew and happens upon a cave, where he witnesses the death of a dragon. When he's sure the dragon is dead, he enters the cave and discovers that it's one huge treasure chest. Eustace begins loading his pockets with the treasure. You hear his thoughts as he does so, and he's trying to figure out how to get the treasure on board the ship without anyone else finding out about it, because he has no desire to share the wealth. He ends up falling asleep on the treasure, and anybody knows, you fall asleep on a dragon's treasure, and you're going to get cursed. So he wakes up to find that he himself has turned into the dragon. He's miserable. See, what happened is while he was loading his pockets with gems and gold and stuff, he found this bracelet thing and he shoved it up on his arm. And then when he transferred into a dragon, his leg was a lot bigger and that gold band was just biting into his skin. So he was miserable. He was lonely. He finally succeeds in communicating with his shipmates what had happened to him. And he realizes he's stuck forever in this predicament. 
It's here that Aslan, Aslan's a lion in this story, but he stands for the Son of God. Aslan enters the picture, and Eustace realizes that Aslan wants him to follow him. They end up at a bubbling well with marble steps going down into the water. So that's where we're at in the story. Now let me read to you from the book. The water was as clear as anything. So we're listening to Eustace talk now. He's telling people what happened. The water was clear as anything. And I thought if I could get in there and bathe, it would ease the pain in my leg. But the lion told me I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if he said any words or not out loud. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on when I suddenly thought that dragons are snaky sort of things and snakes can cast their skins. Ah, of course, thought I, that's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper. Instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness or as if, or as if I was a banana. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling. So I started to go down into the well for my bath. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, said I. It only means I had another smaller suit on underneath the first one, and I'll have to get that one off too. So I scratched and tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully, and out I stepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again, and I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off? For I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, but I don't know if he spoke. You'll have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you that, but I was pretty nearly desperate now, so I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me be able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like bilio, but it's such fun to see the thing coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff off, and just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I'd been. Then he caught hold of me, and I didn't like that much, for I was tender underneath now that I had no skin on at all, and he threw me into the water. It seemed like anything. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. The whole story is an allegory. And this little boy, he was nasty. 
You know, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So he was this greedy, nasty dragon of a boy who fell asleep in an enchanted cave, and he woke up a dragon, just like he was. And it took that for him to realize what a nasty person he was. And then he wanted to change. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't change himself until what he wanted to be. As hard as he tried, he was stuck in dragon skin. He wanted to change, but he couldn't do it himself. He needed somebody to help him. Totally reminds me of the message of the Bible. So I've been taking you through the book of Ezekiel. And I'm at a point that says this. God is talking to ancient Israel. And here's what he says. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Just like ancient Israel, we all need new hearts. We're incapable, though, of giving ourselves new hearts. Somebody has to do it for us. And if you don't think you need a new heart, here's what the Bible says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful? Oh, yeah. It fools us all the time. And it's sick, so it's confused and it's dangerous. And it's our hearts. If the heart's sick, you're sick. Nobody ever steps out of a doctor's office and somebody says, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, but my heart's about ready to give out. If your heart's ready to give out, you got problems. Well, God says our heart is sick. Obviously, it's not our physical heart. He's speaking metaphorically of our inner being. So, If our heart is sick, God says it is, and he wants to give us a new one, and he says he does, how does that all go about? Jesus explained it. He sat down with a religious leader. In fact, it says this guy was one of the heads of Israel, and he came to Jesus at nighttime. And I wonder why he came at night. Was he busy all day? Or was he not wanting anybody to see that he was going to talk to the master, the head rabbi? I don't know. Let me take you to the story, and let's see how their conversation unfolded. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now remember, Jewish leaders, they weren't like our politicians. I mean, of course they were. But on paper, they were supposed to be religious leaders first. All of the leaders were supposed to be religious leaders first. So here's this head religious leader coming to Jesus for advice. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one could do these things, these signs that you do, these miracles, unless God is with him. Jesus' answer here, it's kind of funny. This guy comes up to Jesus by night, maybe like this. I know you come from God. All these miracles you do, it's proof. Now, what do you expect Jesus to say to him? 
Well, I'm glad you're, you're a religious leader and you recognize that. Help other people to become my followers. Jesus doesn't even say hi. He just says, unless you're born again, you can't be saved. <laughs> it's like, slap. What an awkward greeting. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, <laughs> unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how is that even possible? To get born again? We've already been born. Are we supposed to crawl back inside the womb and be born again? You know he's being sarcastic at this point, arguing with the master because he doesn't understand what Jesus said, pretty much saying what you just said is ridiculous. So Jesus says again, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. No beating around the bush. Religious leader comes up to Jesus and says, I believe in you. And Jesus said, you need to be saved. You need to be born again. And this confused the guy. You know, this still confuses people. You go out on the street corner and tell somebody they need to be born again, and they'll look at you like, what are you talking about? It doesn't even make any sense. It is kind of metaphorical. So let's break it down so that we all totally understand what born again means before we leave this morning. But if you understand the story of Eustace and the dragon, you understand what being born again means. But let me make it a little more realistic, a little more spiritual, a little more accurate. Bible says to get to heaven, we have to be born again. So that means two births. There's the physical birth, which we've all already had, and then we need another birth. It's a spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. But he said something in there. He said, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So before we talk about how to be born again, which Jesus answers in a few verses, we need to deal with this concept of water in John chapter 3. What could it possibly mean being born of water? Well, I, I got three thoughts, and honestly... I don't separate the three. I think they all work together beautifully. The first thought is this. And if you've ever had a baby, you know this statement. My water broke. <laughs> See, the baby is wrapped up inside the mother's womb in a bag of water. And before the baby's delivered, the water breaks. That signals birth is imminent. Everybody, there's always exceptions, but a normal natural birth always accompanied by water. So when it says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, some say that water refers to the physical birth, spirit refers to the spiritual birth. I get that. That makes sense. I can go with that. But I think there's more to it than that. Remember what God said through Ezekiel. Listen, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols and I will put my spirit in you. So I think the idea of water in John chapter 3, as it ties to being born again, or the new birth, has to do with the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. You got literal water with the physical birth, and you have metaphorical water with the spiritual birth. The Holy Spirit represents water. Didn't Jesus say, if any man believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water? Because we become indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We see this throughout the Bible, that the water and the Holy Spirit are like this. Let me read to you from Titus. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, 
but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Washing of rebirth, poured out generously, Holy Spirit. So this spiritual rebirth is accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit. We've got the physical water from birth. We've got the spiritual water, the metaphorical water, which represents the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's kind of cool because if you think about all of life, in one way, we all have our origins in water. Remember, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and water covered the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. God said, let there be light. Finally, God pulls dry land out of the water. So all of creation is birthed out of water, originally speaking. So that the Holy Spirit should represent water, or the water represent the Holy Spirit, and the spiritual birth, it works. It, it makes good sense. Then thirdly, we got the physical birth, we got the Holy Spirit cleansing us, and then baptism. Baptism pictures this whole thing. That's why we have baptism. Romans 6, 4. We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, a new life. So baptism represents the death and burial, but also the birth to a new life, water. When we go into the water, do we get spiritually cleansed? No. Water can't clean our spirits. It's symbolic, symbolic of the sprinkling Ezekiel talked about, which represented the born-again experience that Jesus talked about in John chapter 3. So to put it all in a nice little package, Eustace in Narnia, and like him, he needed to be transformed, but he couldn't do it himself. We need a new heart, but we can't do it ourselves. God promised Israel new hearts, and that promise extends to everybody, and it's called being born again. We've already been born physically, but we must have a spiritual rebirth to walk with God. As the New Testament put it, a washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. God is like a, a master artisan. He's a craftsman. He's the potter, we're the clay. Originally, he took a lump of mud, fashioned it into a man, and out of man made woman. But talking about the crazy things we do and how bent we are, sometimes I think we need to be refashioned, and that's exactly what the whole reborn, the born-again thing is about. Can God once more take a lump of clay and turn it into something that's more precious. I took my little lump and I put it in here and it is still kind of gnarly. So I'm gonna, for illustration purposes, the lump is us and God's gonna wash us in the water. And that's what I'm in, I'm in water here. And I've got this beautiful lump of clay, well, not so beautiful, but if I can only wash it and scrub it and rub it a little, like a master artisan, Maybe something good can pop out from underneath all that clay. And I believe this is how humans are. On the outside, we're kind of dirty. We need a washing of regeneration. And if we will let the Lord cleanse us, out will come something precious. In this case, a beautiful diamond. I hate getting dirty. <laughs> Thank you.
So, Ezekiel said the day would come where God would put a new spirit in us and sprinkle our hearts. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Great, we know we must, but how? How do we become something different? How do we go from a lump of clay to a beautiful diamond? How do we get born again? Jesus explained it. It's in the same chapter when he was talking to Nicodemus. And it has become one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. Same context. Here's what Jesus told Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Being born again grants us everlasting life. So believing in Jesus grants us everlasting life. Believing in Jesus gets us being born again. It's simple. One plus one equals two. When we come to faith in Jesus, he cleanses our hearts. He takes what Ezekiel says, our heart of stone, our scaly, dragony hearts, peels it away underneath a sensitive, tender heart of flesh. We become a human again. As Eustace said, I became a boy again. So we started off right in the Garden of Eden. But Adam and Eve made foolish choice. And they took the human race in the wrong direction. And now every generation after Adam and Eve, every person in every generation, has to choose their own course to continue in the wrong direction or to make a U-turn and follow God. By the way, making that U-turn is, calling, is, being, is called repentance. In Hebrew, repentance just means to turn around and go the other way. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. But it's not what we do, because none of us will ever be good enough to merit eternal life. It's whom we trust. It's what he can do to us. Eustace tried to descale himself. It didn't work. He needed Aslan. You can try to descale yourself. It won't work. You need Jesus Christ. If you've not yet made a commitment to follow him, I urge you to do so. Get de-dragonified this morning at Book of Life. Become something new. Please bow your heads and join me in prayer. Lord God, I thank you so much for showing us the truth and sending Jesus to save us from ourselves. People are crazy, but you can make us sane again. And I pray that you would. Everybody listening to my voice today would hear the call of the Holy Spirit See the need for a cleansing and a rebirth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.